Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Kansas City star, sports columnist Vahe Gregorian joins former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and Joe Valerio and me. Vahe, thanks so much for taking time out of your day here. Great to be with you guys. I thought maybe you got a new sponsorship with uh, Valero, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the gas station. My, I, I, <laughs> I'd say like one out of what three times, Joe? I get it right, or maybe get <laughs> yeah. it wrong. What's the? Yeah, exactly. No, I, it's funny you should say that, Vahe, because I do have I do have a funny story about Valero. Um, <laughs> my, I had a coach in high school. One of my offensive line coaches used to call me Valero, like the gas station. He would forget the I, and he used to say to me, Valero, tonight I want you to go home and cut your toilet seat in half. And I'd say, Why is that, coach? He says, When your mama asks you what you're doing, you say, Mama. Coach Awanski said I did a half-ass job today. So, <laughs> so um, that's my Valero story. So I had to throw that in there since you brought it up. So, well, let me I, – I don't want to take over the show here, but uh, let me mention a, a quick stream of consciousness point. That half-ass job uh, reminds me of the most cutting thing my dad would say to me. Uh, it, you know, he seldom raised his voice, seldom really said anything harsh, but but if I if – I, uh, didn't clean the garage properly. He'd say he was sick of my half-assed jobs. And <laughs> so it's haunting words. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So all he needed to do was just tell you to cut your toilet seat in half and you'd have been all <laughs> yeah. set. Yeah, I wish you just said it that way. <laughs> and we'll so. obviously get more into Chiefs coverage, not just toilet seat. <laughs> but, Listen, you get a couple of pen guys together. Who knows where the story yeah, is going to go? a real high bro. A good, good right. diversion. But Vahe, uh, I am glad that, that you mentioned your, your dad was so accomplished. Um, I, I did want to ask you about that. Like former president of Brown, New York Public Library, he, and he was also provost at Penn. Did you guys coincide uh, at Penn? Uh, and was he there? He was probably there before Joe was, right? He, he was. He was, you know, we did overlap there. And it, that was a little funny because uh, it was a time where, um, you know, with an unusual last name, people kind of put it together. <laughs> and he was he was pretty high profile. And, you know, you guys in one form or another, I know, know this, you know, you're, you're kind of I don't know if you're coming of age, but you're, you're trying to grow up and uh, you're trying to create your own path. And it's a little funny when you're when you're, you know, under that shadow. So and it was also an awkward time because he got passed over for the presidency while I was there. Mm. And that became a bit controversial. So. Overall, in the end, I was really glad I was there because I got to see uh, this up close and be supportive of him during a funny time in his life. And actually, in a way, uh, you know, our alma mater, Joe, uh, really botched it. And uh, he he got to go on to uh, a lot of new adventures from that. And and I, I kind of bring that up just because we none of us know where that turning point is. Right. Where something that seems kind of crummy happens and it turns out it leads you to other things. It's just that yep. way. Yeah. Um, but I've appreciated you guys asking about him in the past too. And we just had a one-year memorial service for him in New York. That was just wonderful. So thanks. Thanks so much for asking. 
special. Uh, hey, and, um, you know, he was great. What, like Jeff said, everything he did in his career and, you know, the way you talk about him just speaks so highly of him and, and the way that uh, he must have been as a dad and as a professional and all the stuff in between. So great to great to reminisce on that and and bring that up. And that's, uh, you know, uh, hope uh, hope you're doing OK with all that. And um, we're just glad to talk about it. So, yeah, for sure. And it helps to have friends like you guys ask, too. I, I, I know you guys have been through things and uh, I don't think any of us really understands how much other people can help until you're going through it. Oh, but, so true. Um, it's it's so amazingly true. true, it turns out. Yeah. And a good friend of mine told me once the 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 amount of pain is always proportionate to the amount of joy. Mm. So, you know, it's something I've always remembered when I, I lost both my parents and uh, pretty close time. Uh, proximity I lost them both within a year of, you know, I was, and I was, I, I became a midlife orphan at that point. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was a lot to handle. And I'll tell you, it's, it's the people that you have with you around you that carry you through those times. So totally, totally understand. Yeah, absolutely. Vahe, I know you obviously, I mean, no one knows the Kansas City sports community like you do. So I, this is something I was curious to ask you about. I'm getting the sense that the Royals are eventually going to move downtown, but do you think so too? And if so, what does that mean for the, for the, for the chiefs? Well, it's, it's, it's a, you could have a panel discussion on this and I guess that's what we're doing. We're, we're a panel. <laughs> um, but I, I do think, uh, you know, there's some, there's some X factors in this, but I think uh, the Royals will ultimately seek to move downtown as they explore whether to move downtown I think uh, some of that will be contingent on the, the so-called public-private uh, partnership, how much money all this is going to take. We're talking about a pretty big project. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, and I might sound naive, but um, I'm a big proponent, big believer in the Royals owner, John Sherman, as someone who is obviously a businessman, but is incredibly civic-minded. Um, he's a guy that whose name not many people really knew just it, certainly in sports circles in Kansas City, uh, while he had kind of an invisible hand in many philanthropic things here for, you know, not a generation, but but certainly 10 years or more. And all these things are, are about underserved, underserved people. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe that much of his motivation in this project, if not the, the really overriding motivation in this idea, is what it can do for Kansas City. Again, they want to make the Royals more competitive, which they surely need. Uh, and they certainly are businessmen. But last time I spoke with Mr. Sherman was last week. And, you know, he's, he, he talks about a ballpark being a building. He says, I, I, I'm not thinking about a building. I'm thinking about something that can, you know, can evoke change. So just a, a point of yeah. order that you know from my perspective and again i'm i'm a i'm a pretty optimistic person so i yeah. that's how i see it and to maybe what uh the reason you're asking the, the second part of this mm -hmm. it just let's just say for argument's sake that they do move and they they uh do this within the next few years perhaps time to a world cup coming to kansas city in 2016 uh 2026 it we'll know that in about a month What's interesting about the World Cup is, and again, it's in the context of this, if Kansas City gets it, they're going to have to spend the Chiefs and or Kansas City or whatever forces are going to have to spend a pretty good chunk of change to take a lot of seats out of Arrowhead hmm. to make the pitch contour to World Cup specifications. Oh. Hmm. Now, I'm making this number up off the top of my head, 
but it's a substantial number. Let's call it $25 million. Could be way, way more either way. And then, then the question becomes, how much more are you going to have to spend to put it back in? And then the question becomes, how much is that just another example of continuing to throw 40, 50, 30 million dollars at things in Arrowhead to keep it up to date versus the question is the generational change, whether that's necessary. I mean, Joe, you know what a treasure this place is. Um, yeah. I, I think all things being, you know, even in a perfect world, they find ways to keep reviving it. Um, uh, amazingly, think, Bahe, amazingly, yeah. because, you know, look, growing up in Philadelphia, watching Veteran Stadium built the same year. I think they opened in the same calendar year, 1971. Um, you know, and listen, no offense to all my Philadelphia friends who listen in on the pod, because a lot of Chiefs fans and a lot of Philly fans that listen in, um, that place was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was a hole. And to think that Arrowhead was built in the same year. And that, you know, we're approaching, you know, what, 50 years now of, yeah, of Arrowhead is... Stadium. Wow. The fact that how good it looks, hats off to everybody who's, who's made an effort to do that. So I think it's almost getting to the point now where it would be a crime to tear it down. Well, that, that's, look, that's right. And let's not forget that, and, you know, sentimentality is not going to guide the day, but, but let's not forget that, you know, this was the house that Lamar Hunt built and the Clark Hunt cares a lot about tradition. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this tradition, and it, you made me think of this, Joe, when you referred to our dearly departed vet stadium, um, <laughs> you know, that was a time where you know, the Kansas City community zigged when everybody else was zagging. I mean, they built these two sports specific stadiums yep. when we were right. getting Riverfront, Three Rivers, vet, exactly. places like that that are long since gone. Right. You know, we're all baseball, football combined. And then yeah. Around. And I just, you know, I had occasion recently to do a, a, a tour of Arrowhead with, with a, a group that was, you know, there for some, some event. And I, you know, I saw things I don't usually see. And I was further struck by how great the condition is aesthetically. What I don't know that I can speak to is just sort of the engineering. I, I know I can't speak to this, the engineering structural things, what cement does over this period of time. Right. I take the... Uh, I take the chiefs at their word that it's important that they do a, a substantial due diligence study of this, which they have commissioned for $500,000 to study the viability of Arrowhead itself going forward to study. Do we rebuild somewhere else? Uh, part of the study will be, of course, if the Royals move, can we rebuild on this footprint? The other thing that's maybe in play um, is some sort of, you know, enormous enhancement to Arrowhead as it is, maybe even building in a thing like, I don't know if you guys have seen Patriots Place or the stuff they have around Green Bay now, a, a village around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but Joe, I'd be really interested, and in, Jeff, you too, but Joe, particularly because your your time here, I'd be interested in your thought about why nothing has ever been developed around the Truman Sports Complex. Yeah. There is nothing out there. I mean, yeah. I mean, at one point we had what S.A. Saunders, Sanders was the sports bar across the street. There was the Adams Mark when I was there. So it was the hotel. That's about all I can really remember. Um, I don't really remember anything else other than that. Um, you, you had to get in the car and go 
from the stadium another 15, you know, 20 minutes to get to something that was, you know, an area where there was a significant amount of restaurants or, or places to spend some time. I, I, I got to be honest, like as a player, I don't know how much it affects the players, but for the fan experience, right? I mean, look, I've, I live in the East Coast and, you know, been to Camden Yards, um, you know, been to Fenway. Um, you know, I look at, at places like, you know, the Madison square garden. And I think about all of the stuff that goes on around Jeff with your time in in Chicago and at Wrigley, right. It's so romantic to go to, to stadiums like that, right. Where you can walk to things and, and there's a, there's a people, an outflow of people after the game for the game. And I know there's, I know there's a lot of players that partake in that too. Right. I mean, it's all you ever hear about is, is, is the, is the player sightings at, you know, uh, you know, going out to get an adult beverage after the game, right. To celebrate. So I, I I'm all for it. I, I think it would, you know, what void would that leave and how would that affect the Chiefs? I think it was a great question, Jeff. I mean, and, and you mentioned Chicago, it's interesting. And, and uh, piggybacking on what Vahe said, it really is the wave of the future. Chicago, what they, the bears have bought a huge yeah. lot of land in Arlington thinking that they might move out to create like another what the Patriots did uh you know the commanders the Washington team just bought a huge area in Virginia I'm curious what you know if the Royals do move downtown you all of a sudden have a large lot of land I was wondering if they could maybe do something there with hotels and restaurants but as you guys pointed out I mean they've had there hasn't been much developed and they have had land uh, in that and, area near yeah and it, the thing you're making me think of and this is this is I think the question the chiefs will have to ask themselves in if all these other circumstances happen as they do or as they as we're talking about um okay we can make a really great game day thing with all those things I mean you could really enhance that experience what's happening the other 358 days well, a year yeah yeah out there and is it a, enough of a draw that you can do that so that's yeah. what's so you know a little complicated for them. Um, it, it, so I guess you know it's one thing dominoing into the next. We need to kind yeah. of see see what now. As you guys know, there was some talk about, and there remains talk about, uh, sort of triggered by Mark Donovan, the president, noting that they would they would listen to offers from the state of Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what's funny, Joe. I know you could speak to this. I bet you you've got a lot of friends and relatives who still aren't sure whether the Chiefs play in Kansas or Missouri as it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. And so, to the rest of the country, this probably seems pretty trivial. But having lived here, you know that there's a lot of uh, identity with State Line Road. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of jokingly thought, you know, by then you can you can uh, build the Mahomes Dome uh, straddling State Line Road <laughs> to get and draw from both. And what's interesting, too, is the Chiefs season ticket base, it, at least the majority is uh, from Johnson County, Kansas. But right. uh, for our listeners who, who I still have not made aware on this, uh, you know, Chiefs do play in Missouri. And it, it, it seems it just seems surreal to picture even going across the state, even while we have Jets and Giants playing in New Jersey. I know. I mean, it'd be like the Eagles playing in, in Camden. Right. Exactly. Which is a very similar situation by, and I, I gotta be honest, I just thinking about all this conversation, I mean, this is great. Thank you for, for bringing this up. I, I, I don't see football really having an effect on whether they need to move it into a city. I mean, you know, you've got eight regular season games. Well, now I guess, depending on the odd yeah. number schedule, you might have eight, you might have nine, 
you play off game or two here and there. I mean, it's 10 weekends. It's one game. Like, I can't imagine that people are really worried about whether something is, is in the city or not, because there's so much tailgating that goes on with a football game. Does it really matter if there's a casino or a whole host of restaurants around baseball is different, right? You got 41 evenings or afternoons um, that you're going to be wandering around the city. It's going to create a lot more opportunity. So I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think the Chiefs will be fine just where they are, even if the Royals are gone. Because from a football perspective, I think it's about getting there early, tailgating, going to the game, staying a little bit later after, and then going home. I don't, I don't think for it's it's worth sacrificing something like that for ten or eleven, you know, experience, air quote experiences. Unlike baseball or basketball, where you have or hockey, where you have forty-one, you know home experiences like that plus you know plus an extended playoff if you're lucky and i just think you know i just i, I don't know i just i think the chiefs are going to be just fine especially with the atmosphere that they create and as a player there was no other better place to play i mean just as far as coming in driving in there i mean here's an interesting story marty used to tell us right the, the nfl rule back then at least i don't know if it's changed with any new collective bargaining agreements but you had to be as a player you had to be in the stadium confines within three hours before kickoff Right. So Coach Schottenheimer, you know, would make it a rule that if we were playing at noon or three o'clock, you had to be there three hours before. And that's when you need to be in the stadium. And he used to tell us all the time, don't get here early. Like, don't try to beat like get here actually on time. He goes, I'll tell you why, because when you drive in at, you know, let's say the games at noon, you drive in at nine o'clock or the games at three o'clock and you drive in at, at noon, then you're going to get in on time. If you try to get early, you're going to be late because everybody's already there. He'd be like, guys, the, the whole entire stadium is going to be in the confines by noon for a three o'clock game. I used to cruise in. People used to be like, hey, how come you're leaving so late? I said, because I'm going to cruise right into the stadium and not even hit an ounce of traffic. You know why? Because everybody's already there. So. And Coach Schottenheimer used to tell us that, like, don't bother trying to get here early. And and I actually appreciate that about the, the Chiefs fan base is that they were already there. And that's the kind of experience that city has. And that's why people always say it's the best place to come see a game for that atmosphere. So I, I think it's pretty, you know, whether the Royals stay or not, I think it's just going to be the fact that during the tailgates, Chiefs fans are going to be staring at an empty stadium, Jeff. That's about all it's going to affect the Chiefs, I think. You know, and that, that is one good point that, you know, whether it is the wave of the future to have these hotels and restaurants, you, you get rid of uh, Kauffman Stadium, think of how much tailgating space there is now. Like, you know, right. we're making yeah. a big tailgate party. <laughs> right. Well, that that's the whole thing. All this stuff is is on the table. I mean, Chiefs want parking spaces and it's Joe, uh, sort of the inside out part of your point is it's it's pretty difficult to get parked there. I mean, unless you're coming five hours early. Yeah. And you know, so, I mean, I don't know if they just want to make it a concrete jungle or whatever you'd call it. That that seems a little weird. They could also, you know, perhaps they rein in uh, Kaufman for other purposes. Maybe it's kind of a unique uh, concert venue. Maybe it's, uh, you know, there is a minor league team that plays over in KCK, Kansas City, Kansas, that in fact honors the, the city's Negro Leagues tradition with, uh, they're called the Monarchs now. I don't know. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but they've got their own stadium over there. But I mean, could there be a little switcheroo? I mean, I'm just making all this stuff up as sort of food for thought, but, but you're right. There's no, there's no, 
it's an entirely different proposition to talk about a baseball stadium downtown because it becomes part of the, you know weekday life downtown right um you know in an in, in nfl stadium it just doesn't do that so yeah. anyway yeah that, it's really interesting stuff to think about great stuff guys really interesting for sure well, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting in the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. Head to the website or use your mobile device or to sign up and use our promo code BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Well, we're here with Vahe Gregorian, the Kansas City Star sports columnist. And Vahe, another thing I wanted to ask you about is Joe and I love the Chiefs draft. Uh, We thought they really aced it. But I'm a little concerned about the Chiefs in the present. I, I love what they're doing for the future. But, you know, I was thinking about this. You're basically trading... Tyron Matthew was the leader of the team. Charvarius Ward, who had developed into a solid corner. Uh, for, for like Justin Reed the new uh, and Brian Cooks, the, the new uh, drafted safety. And Trent McDuffie, who has great potential. And, and similarly, you're kind of trading out Ty- Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson for Juju Smith-Schuster. Valdez Scantling and Sky Moore. I mean, that's a lot. You look at those traits. I, I'm not sure the new parts they have coming in are as good as the parts that we're going out, at least for now. I think that's, that's it's a great question. And it's really a astute uh, view of the scene. Um, and, you know, I don't know why his name stuck out to me, but uh, of all those shifts you, you just brought up, uh, I, I was, I was, I'm much bigger on Byron Pringle than the Chiefs were. I, I always sort of thought he... Hmm. He had a chance to, to, to be that tweener guy, but I think they know more about it than I do. I'm pretty, pretty confident saying that. And they know. I mean, you do have a wide receiver background. Though. <laughs> I mean, you're not just saying this in a vacuum. You know. But, but also within that, they also have obviously uh, an entirely different understanding of the framework they're thinking about. So let's go back to the dominoes that come from Tyreek Hill. I think what happened, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable uh, saying this with, with, you know, good informed um, uh, speaking to people around the, around the team, that it was untenable. They, they weren't going to be able to sign Tyreek Hill. And it, not, the, the disparity was just too, too wide. And so two things were going to happen. They were going to either squeeze him and have him be uncomfortable or, you know, be upset by the contract. I mean, that, that was, you know, one thing that, or, or by not getting an extension um, or they were going to have to compromise on the things they needed. So at some point in this, that all the dominoes fell from that, I think, right. With all, a lot of financial decisions. Um, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. I, I, I think we maybe overstate a little bit how much they just depend on Tyreek and Travis Kelsey on the other hand, the idea of feeling like you don't know where the ball might go a little bit more and that three, four new guys coming in might let them diversify the tack. Uh, also, even the strategy of where the seams are, all these different kinds of things, points of emphasis. I'm not sure it's a bad time for them to, to be hitting a little reset on what 
what the attack is. I don't think we'll see anything radical, but I think we'll see every year we see some changes, but I think it's going to be a kind of refreshing reset to some different offensive concepts that maybe we've seen. I think, I don't know this, but it just, if you look at the change in talent, the change in the lineup, um, it, even the guys who were hunting for playing time, there's no Tyree kill there, but, but there are three, four, five guys that, you know, are certainly intriguing. So anyway, one last thing on this, just, just to your bigger point, uh, I, you know, they've had, this is their third major overhaul in the Brett Veach era as GM. The first was the entire defense. I mean, everything with the defense. And that was the deepest and most substantial because it involved coordinators and schemes and personnel that worked out. Uh, the second was the entire offensive line last year after some guys aged out, some injuries, just this and that. That worked out until the second half against Cincinnati, um, which still remains inexplicable to me. So this is this is a little different kind of re-engineering because it spans both sides of the ball and it, and it calls for uh, some people to mature fairly fast. I mean, they need at least their top, they're both first round picks and at least a couple of the other draft picks to be factors quick. But I think, I think after six, seven, eight games, I think we'll see the method to the madness. I, I, mm -hmm. it, it, there may be some, maybe some, uh, uh, you know, tough moments early, but you know, it's a consensus a plus or a type class viewed around the nation. And at some point they had to get younger and, and less expensive. That's a great point, Bai. And I, I think diversification is definitely a topic that Jeff and I have touched on before. And I, I'm glad you used that word and that you feel that way because they have definitely diversified the offense just from a talent perspective and where they can fit in, you know, these pieces to the puzzle. And, and one of the things, you know, Jeff and I have talked about all the time is how just looking at the offensive side of the ball first, you know, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid have always molded the playbook around the players and not vice versa. I mean, that's how at least I've seen it. They've never said, this is our offensive philosophy, either get on board or you're out. Like they've never tried to fit a square peg into a round hole. They've created a square playbook around that square peg. And, and I think to me, that's what, that is what has made this offense special. And I think, I think coach Spags does it on defense the same way. I think it's an overall philosophy that the chiefs have. And I think, I personally think that this offensive, um, talent pool that they have now opens the playbook up even more and, and is going to allow Eric Bianami to add even more pages to the playbook, which look, defensive coordinators don't sit around and just say, woe is me. How do I stop Patrick Mahomes? How do I stop? They find out ways to stop them. And so now they're not only going to have to think about historically what the chiefs have done uh, to, to put a, game, a defensive game plan in place, there, these defensive coordinators around the league, and especially in the AFC West, which is going to be ultra competitive this year, they're going to have to think about, okay, how do we stop the old Chiefs, and how do we stop these new Chiefs? Because they're going to have they're going to have glimpses of both, right? They're going to still have Travis. They still have got some speed, you know. They still have the backfield that you know that they that they had, um, and they still got Patrick Mahomes. And now they got some extra pieces of the puzzle that defensive coordinators are going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, and I think I think I think offensive coordinators are going to have to think about the same things 
and what coach bags put together. So I I'm, I'm excited. I'm really bullish on the season. I really am. Um, you know, barring, you know, bad injuries and things like that, which we can't control. I, I'm really bullish on, on, on what they're doing right now. And I think it's, um, I think it's going to give a lot of people fits. My biggest concern by, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this is the AFC West is going to be so competitive and the Chiefs' schedule is so competitive. We, we know everybody, you know, it's been the big hullabaloo about how it's the toughest NFL schedule in the history for first eight games, you know, having to play teams with everybody having a winning record. I think the whole AFC is going to beat the living daylights out of each other. And we're going to, you know, I think team, a team, the team that comes out of the AFC West is going to come, and I'm going to use this term, this little strong word, limping into the playoffs. That's my feeling. They're going to come into the playoffs really beat up and really played out because of the competitiveness of it. And, and that scares me a little bit for, for the AFC West. Yeah. And, and look, I, I, I think there's a really thin line between coming out limping and what's that expression about iron sharpening iron. I <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't, doesn't do any good if it, it's so sharp that it, uh, you know, it <laughs> takes out your ACL. Um, so I think, but I think that's really, that's going to be part of it. I mean, it will be, uh, you know, a matter of, you know, navigating the marathon, but also you're referring to, I'm sure also just the idea of specific injuries taking people out, but there's going to be a fatigue thing that's, that's going to be there. And it is funny. I mean, it's six straight AFC Wests now, um, you know, four straight AFC championship games. And, you know, I think we've all kind of until this last off season kind of come to think, well, you know, Chiefs have made kind of a chew toy of the AFC West and that's, you know, they're going to have that you know, to start every season. They'll be, they'll be, you know, they'll win five out of six or, you know, and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll win most of them. And I don't think you can assume that now. And that's, that's a different starting point. And, mm-hmm. you know, they could be a pretty decent team and not make the playoffs. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, the AFC, a team from the AFC West most likely or could at least have great odds of going to the Super Bowl or, or making it to the AFC championship game. However, they may not have home field advantage throughout. I mean, that's what, you know, I, I, th- I think there's going to be so much parity in, in the AFC West chances of, of being the number one seed and, and, and getting that coveted by and having, you know, home field throughout, which is, which is interesting that you're, it's almost like, uh, what is that old saying? You know, no good deed goes unpunished. Right. And that, and that you create this incredibly tough division which is going to be fun for fans it's going to be re- the fc west is going to be i think at least now on paper is going to be really fun for for for, for chiefs fans and, and fans of the afc but at the same time you're also creating <laughs> you're creating a dilemma for yourself may not be on paper or may not have the best record coming out of the afc which is going to be really interesting because they're going to like i said they're just going to literally beat each other up yeah yeah <laughs> i think they they will it'll be it'll be a really fun season and Look, it's a it's a it's a very challenging schedule, but it's a very colorful schedule. And I I, I take Andy Reid at his word when he he uh, starts every week talking about how he uh, looks forward to the challenge. Um, you know, I I think you know we all kind of make a little fun of him for saying that all the time, but I think his point is to reaffirm to himself that that's that's the the joy of this, right? Is the, mm-hmm. that's the competition, yeah. the opportunity yep. mm-hmm. to compete. Vahe. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out his columns in the Kansas City Star. And if you enjoyed this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.